to the Radical Brilliance Podcast with Arjuna Arda and brilliant guests from around the world who are contributing to the evolution of humanity. Today's guest is Shamali Arda, and together they're going to talk about the deeper love. So here's your host, Arjuna Arda. Hey, welcome back to the Radical Brilliance Podcast. I don't know how many episodes we're in right now. I've kind of lost count, must be six or seven. And I'm fond of saying each time, like, oh, today's guest is the person, it's the musician I like the best, it's the person I most admire, it's the most brilliant person. But today, I've kind of run out of superlatives to really give this one its due, its real description. Today is, today's guest is the human being who blows me most away for whom I feel the most intense emotions of worship, of adoration, of awe, like, oh, can anybody be this beautiful, amazing? You know, human beings have a part of them that likes to bow down and worship some symbol of the divine, of something bigger than, than human. So you don't have to take my word for that. Look, there's churches and synagogues and temples all over the world in every tradition. It's obvious human beings have a very strong penchant towards bowing down in, in awestruck devotion. So you can do that with lots of different icons on your altar. You could put Krishna on your altar, or Jesus, or Mother Mary, or this goes on and on. You could worship the earth. You could worship rock. But let's just take Buddha for a minute, because so many people have Buddha statues, you know. Buddha statue is typically made of wood or metal, or something like that. So what are you worshipping? Are you when you bow down to the Buddha, when you, when you prostrate to the Buddha, are you worshipping the metal? Would you worship any piece of metal? Are you worshipping the wood? Would you worship any piece of wood? If so, would it be only hardwoods like oak? Or would it also be softwood like pine? Now, obviously, you're not worshipping the metal or the wood. You're worshipping what that image represents. You're taking the metal of the wood, put into a certain form, and you're saying that now represents the greatest, the most beautiful, the most awake potential of human, human incarnation. And I've done that a lot in my life. You can also worship teachers. You know, I've bowed down to many uh, gurus, both Western and um, Oriental, Indian I've really, really gone down that route, for better or worse, in my lifetime, in an, uh, in an attempt to give expression to this bursting feeling of adoration that I've always felt in my heart, wanted to find some legitimate focus and expression. But you always have the opportunity, if you so choose, to turn those feelings of adoration, of blessedness, of gratitude of awe to the one on the other side of the bed from you. It may take a little slapping your face or splashing your face with cold water because we, we tend to get used to the person on the other side of the bed, so they become familiar. And then it's like, oh, nobody's special, it's just my wife, no big deal. But actually... there is the possibility to bring those feelings of adoration, of worship, of, of specialness that you might reserve for the Dalai Lama or Byron Katie or 
I don't know who, um, whoever your favorite people are, to bring those feelings of, ah, to the one closest to you. And in my case, it's been particularly easy and flowing and appropriate to do that because, as you'll see, I'm very lucky to be married to a very awake, innocent, humorous, loving, compassionate, conscious woman. And before we go into this, I want to just confess to you that I am the most unlikely candidate to be <laughs> talking on this topic, the most unlikely. You know, sometimes you can go on, on social media and you can see an inspiring video of somebody who was born like with no hands and no, you know, no arms and no legs. But despite no arms and low legs, you get this video and in the video, they're kind of managing to go up and down the stairs. They're managing to make breakfast. They're managing to do all the ordinary things. And it's so inspiring and it gets shared millions of times because somebody is doing these things. Now you're watching a video. Somebody's having breakfast. Now you're watching a video. This somebody is is in a wheelchair, is going to buy their own groceries. You go, wow, that's so amazing. Share, share, share. What's amazing is not the activity, it's who's doing it. It's wow. It's not just somebody's brushing their teeth. It's somebody with no arms and legs is brushing their teeth in some miraculous way. It's not that somebody's going to the grocery store to buy shopping. It's somebody with no arms and legs is doing that. Wow, what a triumph. Well, in the same way, I've got to tell you, I am the most unlikely person you could meet to be able to report back on this kind of marriage. I had really little or no role model in my own family for healthy, loving, relating. And I carried that brokenness into my own early adulthood. And as you'll hear, I wasn't, it wasn't until I was like 44 that I really, it, it struck me one day like, wow, you know, I could die not having loved. And so, Shamily and I, we've been in an experiment, and, uh, and that's what I want to share with you today, is the most intimate uh, confessions, the most intimate sharings that I could come up with, that I could offer you, the, uh, the miracle, the miracle and the blessing of this marriage. Uh, I hope it is interesting, useful, but it might inspire you to make similar choices if you also happen to be born with a whole lot of not love and a longing for more love. Let's move over to the dialogue between myself and Shamily. Hey, Shamali. Thank you so much for sitting down. You know, I've uh, done quite a lot of these interviews now for this podcast that I'm starting. And usually there's this big uh, dilemma, you know, of like, am I going to fly to wherever they live? Because I like to do it on video, you know. Or are they going to come here? Or are we going to do Zoom? And this is the first time in all the podcasts I've recorded that I didn't have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> So here we are, sitting down in our own living room on a typical afternoon to talk about... What do you want to talk about? What else is there to talk about? Um, cats. <laughs> <laughs> love. Love. Love, yeah. Love, Let's love. talk about love. Yeah. So, mm. Yeah. Mm. You know, let me tell you a little story. Can I tell you a story? Tell you about this, this very confused guy. It's a story about a very confused, disoriented young man who uh, <clears throat> was 44 years old, sitting alone, very much alone. And he had this uh, moment where he was sitting alone and, and uh, realizing he had never really loved in his life. He had this kind of recognition, this shock. Wow, I've... I've I've had relationships, I've had children, but I've never really dared to love fully. And this guy, he was, he was like transfixed by this shock that he, he might die one day never having loved. And three weeks later, this guy, he went, he was, he was a teacher, he went to Sweden to teach a course, and he met this woman. 
And coincidentally, without him sharing that story, she shared with him that she'd been sitting by the bank of the Ganges three weeks prior and had had this thought, like, how can I bring this big universal kind of divine love into, you know, into the human realm? And um, those, that man and that woman, they became friends, and after quite a period of time, they realized that they'd like to experiment and see if, if it was possible to, through deliberate intention and practice, to, to experience love. And uh, that seems like two people in a story, but that was actually you and me 17 years ago. And here we are. We've been practicing and experimenting now for 17 years. Hmm. So I guess the first question I want to put to you as my, as my podcast, podcast guest is, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> how's it going, the experiment? <laughs> One of the magical thing, things that happened for me when I listened to that longing for love and listened to that intuition of the possibility of, of living the big love in my heart and dedicating my life to that. Mm. One of the magical things about it is that it's intrinsically successful. Mm. It's actually not dependent on form needing to be a, a certain way so even though this relationship has gone up and down and in and out and through so many different um, obstacles and possibilities and it's intrinsically successful because for me because it is aligned with why I'm here on mm. this earth Mm. So it is, it's ungluing the, the measurement of success from the form it takes. Mm. Because if I would have been completely identified with it being a certain way, mm. um, I don't think I would have the resilience to go through all the layers <laughs> that we've been through <laughs> in order to, uh, mm. to just stay, stay true to that evolutionary mm flow of each one of us mm. to our dharma yeah our dharma yeah huh. mm. you know for me one of the really one of the things that really opened for me when we first started to experiment and practice love together well that was actually one of one of the revolutionary things was to recognize that love is not just a feeling it's something you can practice it's something you can deliberately put attention on and become more fluent in, you know, I suppose that's the right word. But the other revolutionary thing for me when we got together was about the nature of commitment. And I had never seen, I don't know how it happened, but I had never seen it before, that the commitment that was called for from me in our meeting was not a commitment to you as a person, it was a commitment to love. Hmm. And and then, because you were willing to show up in that commitment, then we had a shared commitment, a shared commitment to love. And that really, that has made all the difference for me in, in the exploration, is to realize my deepest commitment needs to be to love and to showing up as a loving man. And... Um, because I, I suppose, I don't know, I want to explore this together a little bit. I guess I feel like if my commitment is to you as a person, it becomes kind of, I don't know, codependent. It becomes kind of other-oriented. But if my commitment is to being the very most loving version of myself, and if, you, if I meet you in that commitment, that's where the magic seems to unfold much more. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think what that with, with what those roots allows us to experience is a relationship that has space for us to grow and evolve and change mm. because of course if you 
commit to a person, it's the danger that we fix that person into a certain kind of version of that person, and then that person has to stay like that in order for us to be committed to All that right. person. Yeah. And that, I think, is unnecessary. It creates unnecessary suffering mm. because it is impossible to fix a person in that way mm. because we are living, breathing mm. bundle of organisms. <laughs> yeah, so, it, mm. so it gives that space that it's... Uh, and to commit to love is not other than the person. It's, it's just... Uh, Closer to the to the roots or the essence of that person. Yeah, as I hear you speak, I I realize and, and reflect upon our journey of seventeen years. I realize actually a lot has dropped away, hmm. uh, and I know we have intended at various times for things to drop away. We, we've done practices together and, you know, we still do. We still do puja together and we still practice gratitude. Just, I wonder, I wonder what really made the difference. I know that, I think earlier in the relationship, I experienced you more as a person, Right? Uh, I saw you more as a person with a psychological past, you know, like a person, the result of this conditioning. And now, the longer I've known you, I have absolutely no clue who you are. <laughs> You're a mystery to me, but an endlessly fascinating mystery. And it's really like that. I, I mean, just several times today, you know, I've, I've come to where you were sitting and come into the room, and I, I'm actually, like, fascinated. It's like... Um, like you're a window. Hmm. You're a window into a view that is constantly shifting and mysterious. And I realize that's maybe that's always been there, but it's something you can choose to lean into or choose to ignore. You know, I'm sure it's true for every couple that the deepest reality is the partner is a mystery. Hmm. But um, there are mechanisms which cause us to as you said, to want to put somebody into a fixed definition. Yeah. Mm. Mm. yeah. Mm. <laughs> One thing that I remember in the starting phase mm. was that both of us were quite sober. We, we both had experienced a relationship before that had um, been been difficult mm. and um, didn't last mm. Uh, mm. and had also uh, quite traumatic endings of relationships. Mm. And uh, when we went into this relationship, we didn't try to um, kind of close our eyes and just hope for the best. Mm. We were quite grounded and mm. sober mm. and we stayed that way even mm -hmm. when the attraction or the all of that romantic feelings begins, began to stir up we, we stayed committed each one of us mm -hmm. to create something different mm -hmm. like we had an intuition of something different we didn't know how to do it mm. But we saw that if we go in and do exactly what we've done before, we know exactly how the result of that. Yeah. And that is sometimes we... I think that was a big, big key, important mm. key, because we so easily just kind of throw ourselves in the relationship and then we do exactly the same thing and expect different results. Mm -hmm. mm. But we were quite, you know, kind of bruised and awake enough mm humbled enough yeah. to see that we we had actually the odds against us to to be able to create good relationships yeah, totally. with our pasts. Yeah. We didn't have role models, our parents, our family. Like mm. we hadn't really like for me I hadn't really seen that which my heart was calling me to explore. Mm. But I knew it was possible. Mm. Just I had faith. Mm. Uh, but not blind faith. It's mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, great. <laughs> I was willing to, mm. to to kind of okay, pull up the sleeves and 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 get really real. Mm. What is it that sabotage? What is it I do 
that create these relationships again and again and again. How mm. can I do it differently? Huh. I don't know if you remember, but I think it was the very first time you came to California. And uh, we were living then up on Red Dog Road, you know, and we, we took a camping trip. You remember that was in September? Mm. We went we went hiking up, 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 until we got to this, we got to the very top of the Sierra, it was like the moon. There was no trees left, it was like being on the moon. And you remember we got lost, right? We, we put the tent somewhere and we went for a walk and we just could not find the tent, right? But I remember one night there, we made a fire, we made a, uh, like a campfire, which was allowed. <laughs> and I remember we actually deliberately, we sat down and we asked each other, okay, so what are, what are all the worst things that I'm gonna find out about you? You know, give it enough time. Like when the honeymoon's worn off, because we were still in the honeymoon, we actually interrogated each other. What are all the most horrible, shitty things you do to people in relationships once the honeymoon's worn off? And we got a catalog. So we were actually quite deliberate from the very beginning to kind of almost like to smash the honeymoon as quickly as possible and get real and, and really deal with the habits of not love. And I remember, I remember having that, that language, you know, we, we were not working on love, we were actually exposing and liberating non-love because mm. love is natural, you know. I, that's what I feel now is, is love is who we are when we're not, when we're not entangled in non-love, you know. Mm. That was a pretty important thing because then we started to play with it. You know, we started to make games out of the non-love. You remember we had the thing about Luigi? Can I just remind us of that for the purpose of friends listening? That we discovered early on that I had this very, um, what do you call it? A very insipid kind of uh, jealousy, right? British jealousy. Like, British jealousy is not passionate and Roman. It's kind of like, you know... Who, who were you talking to on the phone? <laughs> <laughs> and then you would say, what, like, uh, you know, just a friend? And I'd say, oh, what, what, um, do, I, do I know your friend? No, I don't think you've met him. Him! <laughs> him? <laughs> you know, that was British jealousy. Well, fine, you know, absolutely great. I'll just go in the other room, slam the door. That was British jealousy, like very indirect. So we created this character, you remember, called Luigi. And Luigi, can I, t- can I do this with you? <laughs> Lu- Luigi would say, uh, hey, baby, you don't look at any other man, okay? You don't look at any other man. You look at another man, I slit your throat and his too, huh? Hey, hey this breast and pussy, all for me, huh? All for me. I'm Luigi from Cecilia, you know? <laughs> right, that was, that was Freddy. I mean, uh, Luigi, yeah. Uh, Luigi, who was a bit inappropriate in his use of language. <laughs> Uh, so we made this character that I, we, I had to play him for five minutes a day, correct? And, um, and that somehow brought all of these non-love habits, it like evaporated them off, almost like the kind of the milk solids that, make, that you take out to have the ghee, you know? All these, all these coagulated bits got brought to the surface, and a lot of it was through humor, I remember. We made humor out of our not-love habits. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. And again, it, 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 when you bring up that radical honesty that we practice, and still are, it's one of the cornerstones of our relationship. It that arises again out of that commitment, which is to something deeper. Hmm. For me to fall in love with love itself gave me resilience and clarity of where my loyalty is. Yeah. And that gave me the courage also to, to be honest. I, I remember I was, I was thinking each time I shared something with you that I thought you would run away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. uh, but, but nevertheless, I knew that, okay, if I'm going to build this on a false foundation or pretend um, I, I'm, I'm not interested yeah. but I'm, I'm willing to risk to be completely real is it possible to be loved when I'm completely real Yeah. and then I experienced that each time we did share like this we, we came closer Yeah. Yeah. each time yeah. we, there were more spaciousness and trust yeah. between us yeah yeah <laughs> 
it's kind of, you know, it's sort of counterintuitive because instinctively when we meet somebody, we feel we have to be, we have to keep everything looking mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. and hide the ugly stuff in the basement. And we managed to make it through by doing exactly the opposite. <laughs> Forget the pretty stuff. Let's focus on the ugly stuff <laughs> with humor. Yeah. 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 <laughs> As you're listening to this conversation with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest, you might feel inspired to go deeper into your own expression of radical brilliance. Come join us for a one-week Radical Brilliance Laboratory held in a beautiful rural location in the Sierra Nevada mountains of California. During the laboratory, you'll have an opportunity to dive deeply into all four quadrants of the Brilliance Cycle. This means you'll be able to explore experiences of consciousness without boundaries. And you'll be able to start accessing original impulses of creativity from within yourself that can become your unique contribution to the world. You can get in touch with your own learning and integrate mistakes that will allow you to mature and grow. You'll have the chance to deeply mine your own resources as well as connect with other brilliant people in a small, intimate context for a week. You can check out the Radical Brilliance Laboratories at RadicalBrilliance.com under the Events tab. big rule of podcasts not to have too much radio silence but <laughs> it's difficult <laughs> when you start to contemplate the deeper layers of love because there's really no words mm. yeah you know another thing that, that's been I think really a current through all of these 17 years and I believe we started it right at the beginning I don't know where we got it from but it, it started right at the beginning was this thing we do every morning of the couple's puja mm. And um, that's been such a game changer for me, you know. For 17 years, pretty much, you know, pretty solidly we've been doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, maybe I'll just briefly describe it for friends who, who don't know, that uh, every morning we, we do a little kind of, I don't know, I don't know if you go along with this language, but I would say it's a little kind of religious ritual, right? Except instead of... The religious ritual being to a deity on, a, on a, a statue on an altar, we make each other temporarily into the deity, you know, and um, and so we express. You know, it might sound something like, you know, my beloved, I I love you. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you for showering this love on me. And please call forth from me the the deepest. The deepest that you long for, like don't settle for anything mediocre, please remember what you, what was advertised <laughs> and call that forth. And then I might also apologize, you know, I'm really sorry about how I got abrupt yesterday or how I did this or that. And it's a kind of a chance to really start fresh and then, mm. and we just do spend a couple of minutes each and then, and then we'll bow down and the mm. other one puts the hands on the head and. It really means that every day, it's like Groundhog Day, you know? Mm. Every day we start the relationship fresh with a dedication to living as love and a dedication to, to our deepest values. Yeah. And that's been pretty, I don't know, it feels to me that that's really been a big part of this magic that's released itself is to really, that today is not a continuation of yesterday. Mm. Today is a reboot. And today we start over. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday. Today is a fresh start. And a fresh, a fresh, trembling, fumbling attempt 
at allowing love to take over. You know, even if we fail and, you know, lose, lose it, every day we get a fresh start to experiment with love. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It's like the true north on a compass um, that is always, will adjust, it will always adjust itself back mm. to north. Mm. And for me that practice is uh, my true north in the relationship. And then we get lost and we get entangled uh, throughout the day and then mm. remembering again why mm. we are together and mm. why we go through all of that stuff. Mm. It also liberates um, the ideas we have about the perfect relationship. Mm -hmm. I, um, I have such a respect for people going into relationship. I have such a I'm in awe of mm. the courage and the, the the dedication it takes to become intimate with someone else. Mm. It's it's not easy. Mm. Um, mm. And uh, what I see, one way that I see that we make it even more difficult is that we, we put on top of that ideals and ideas of how relationship should be. Uh, and we compare ourselves constantly with those ideals. Mm. And um, mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, you were you were reflecting on the respect you feel for people entering into that. And, you know, the thing that really touches me a lot, because it takes me back to just before I met you, what really touches me a lot, and which I've always got so much space for, is when someone's at the point when they're single, right? Uh, maybe they've had bad relationships that ended badly, and then they come to this point of saying, you know, I'm, I, now I'm, I'm so ready to love. I'm so ready to start fresh. I saw this just on Facebook the other day. A friend, um, he wrote on Facebook. He said, you know, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I declare. I declare I'm ready. He actually said to meet the mother of my children. He, 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 I'm ready to meet the one. And I actually messaged him on Facebook. And I said, you know, hey, I've been through this. And... Uh, explored this so much, I'd love to just be there with you as a brother, you know, in, in this exploration. It, it always gets my heart every time. You know, when, when someone says, oh, I, I really want to be enlightened and one with the great cosmic spirit, I go, yeah, that's very nice, you know, that's beautiful. And, and, and if somebody says, I want to make a million bucks, I go, okay, good luck, you know. But when someone says, I'm really ready to love in an undefended way, somehow it just gets me to my core, maybe because it's been such an important, pivotal journey for me. But that always that moment, you know, of being single, being single, but not cynical. You know, you're single, so you're actually not in relationship, but you are full, but the perfume of love is all around and it's ready. You know, it's just the most, it's the most uh, magical time mm -hmm. when you're really ready. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we... We, um, we cover that readiness. Because a, a readiness like that, a declaration like that, is a vulnerable uh, place to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's the only... That, that's where also the, the doors are open. That's mm -hmm. where life can touch us and, and people can feel us. Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes we, we, we associate that kind of readiness with neediness. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to feel needy mm. so we, we cover it up with kind of a coolness or a cynicism or a casualness a lukewarmness because it's safer because mm. then you don't get disappointed mm -hmm. but also there also life can't touch you people can't feel you yeah uh, so to open it in that yes I'm here I'm ready mm. it's a very potent um, potent energy that is released for sure yeah you know you talked about covering it up with um, with some kind of protection another way I remember that we that we ex that we talked about a lot 
that we had both covered it up was this notion that, well, love has no boundaries, you know, <clears throat> love is universal, so I can love everybody and kind of keep it diffuse, all right? So we both, you know, had a background of um, being involved in, you know, in different groups where love was pretty diffused, you know? And so that's another thing that I realized, that I associated freedom and unentangled love with just having multiple partners. <laughs> then it didn't get complicated. But in fact, this was another great revelation that when we, we made a decision right at the beginning that we were going to do monogamy, simply, I think, because we realized, as if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we both realized that we, we stood more chance of going more deeply into love in monogamy than in, in um, something, you know, something more spread out. Then, if that's how you experienced it, um, so this is another big kind of consideration. In, in when when you want to know love deeply, it's actually somehow going deep with one person. It's, it's it's almost like if you really look intensely through just one window, you will end up knowing the sky more deeply than if your attention is scattered between many windows. You know? mm. I don't think it's uh, one way fits all uh, mm. for for me and for you. Mm. Um, that was the truth. It was very, very for me. I was in a in a place where I could, as you have been speaking about, I could feel that potential of love, mm. but, and it felt scary for me to die without having experienced and lived it. Mm. Uh, it felt so important that I wanted to spend my life. Um, exploring that kind of love, mm. the love that I am, and and and, and uh, which is always here, mm. and uh, that uh, a lot of the forms of relationship I had been in was distracting me from that. Uh, so it was a matter of kind of collecting the energy, so it becomes more potent, more concentrated, mm. uh, and that was just the way that you know was right for me. And I don't think it's. Uh, I, you know, because I've seen so many forms of relationships since then, so I mm. don't think it is one, the same for everybody. Yeah, it's good. good but I think it's important that you speak about it, yeah. because it is so um, common that we associate freedom with following every superficial impulse. Mm -hmm. And if you do that the rest of your life, and then on your deathbed said, oh great, I, I experienced this uh, freedom to follow all my different addictions and impulses, mm. um, I would say that you're cheating yourself. Mm. Because in my um, experience with both relationship and my spiritual practice, is that if I actually um, stay with, if I decide on a certain kind of, like if I had decided on riverbanks to the flow mm. of my life, I, had, I have riverbanks to them, mm. uh, and commit Mm -hmm. To fully to fully put my energy in in, in in one place, not as a static place, but I feel it as a river, as the river of my evolution, and I step fully into it. For me, it has been an experience of freedom that I didn't even know was on the menu. It was like it's it's a freedom to live aligned with why I'm here, which is a very different freedom than to just having an impulse here and there, like on the surface. So it's it's paradoxical for many to think about free commitment and freedom as two as two as the same thing as actually commitment as a portal into freedom instead of the opposite. Um, but that is my experience. Mm. Mm. For me, the the kind of container we created for our love has led me to freedom in love and relationship and in my creativity in my life. Um, that I have never experienced before. Mm. I've never seen it before. Mm -hmm. Never mm. felt so free <laughs> in my relationship. Mm. 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 Complete because it's yeah, completely free. Mm. I remember, you know, there was um, <clears throat> a turning point for me around our freedom. Um, I don't know if you remember, but there was there was one winter where we were going through a rough patch, you know. And I think, as I recall, you were going off to travel somewhere, and 
we were in that that phase that phase of the relationship where you were feeling more independent I was feeling more abandoned you know and then we remember we went to to we went to have therapy with that couple and um, she was more she was speaking more and the the man who, who's dead now but he he was uh, very quiet he was just sitting there and um, very quiet I was actually wondered if he was kind of dozing off to sleep <laughs> yes. and, and I was I was basically doing this sales pitch. <laughs> I was trying to persuade this therapist couple that my wife was the problem. You see, my wife had this commitment phobia and kept going to India and leaving me, the good guy, who was really taking care of the relationship. I was trying to enroll them in my argument that I was the guy who was holding the relationship together and practicing and really showing up. And she was just <laughs> coming and going all the time. She wasn't really in, you know. And I was hoping they would kind of scold you and, you know, get you back into shape again. I know you did. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then this old guy, who, as I said, since then he started beautiful man, he, he, he was sitting there kind of almost like a little slumped. And after about half an hour, he just said very quietly, he said, so, he said, what are you going to do about your terror of abandonment? He just said that. He said, what are you going to do? No, what he said hmm? was, now it's time to speak about the elephant in the room. Yeah. And then he said that. The terror, terror of abandonment. Yeah, the terror of abandonment. So, so that was that. I was like, you know, completely flawed. Like my whole sales pitch had gone wrong. You know, suddenly I was, you know, I was the one who had to look at something. So, so the thing is, then you did go off to India and I did get miserable, and I can remember I was in the, in the bedroom there, and you know, with the cat, and just feeling like, oh, she abandoned me. And, and somehow I went all, it was quite a long trip you went away, and I just went all the way down into that vortex, through loneliness and abandonment, until I actually arrived at aloneness, where mm -hmm. I would wake up in the morning and just feel just delighted to be in the company of Arjuna. And I don't think it, it, I don't think it ever really went back significantly after that. You know, there, there was something really bottomed out. Now you're looking forward to <laughs> Yes, exactly. Now, now I say, when are you leaving for, you know, when your trip? He said, oh, I'm leaving in a week. I said, oh, I can't wait. <laughs> but you see that, 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 that the container of love and commitment mm. allowed you to go through all of those layers. If the container actually was leaking and if mm. I was like not fully there and kind of playing with those ideas of like, oh, I'm hmm. maybe going to stay, maybe going to leave, all of that. You wouldn't be able to do that healing work, you hmm. see, because you would be re-traumatized. Yeah, that's true. So it's a difference, because sometimes we, we mix those two in relationship. We think we are processing in our relationship, we are healing in our relationship, but, but we are actually just recreating the same trauma again and again and it's actually the traumatized part of us is doing that mm -hmm. um, and then we put spiritual or therapeutic labels on it mm. um, but to actually do that deep over work when you go into abandonment and all of these very very core um, contractions or cramps um, I think we push ourselves too much we demand too much of ourselves to think that we can do the healing work on that level without a kind, caring, committed mm. container. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because both you and I, we come from spiritual backgrounds, so we know the, we know all the people, even now maybe listening to this, will put on a spiritual labels onto that. Like, oh yeah, but that's just your fear, that's let your fear rule, or... Like, you should be able to open open up in love even if you don't know if your partner's going to be there the next day. Like, all the mm. shoulds and mm -hmm. very harsh demands we have mm. upon ourselves. Mm. And I feel that the people who have all of those demands, uh, at least that is my, my idea of it, is that they haven't been to those layers of love. Because if you have really mm. touched those layers that love can take you to, yeah you would be much more humble uh, at least that's my experience that it has brought me to humbleness and uh, a kind of a, a, and a compassion a patience uh, and really facing what it takes to open to love yeah if you're enjoying this podcast 
you might enjoy dropping by radicalbrilliance.com. We've got an ebook for you which explains the Radical Brilliance cycle, the way the cycle gets blocked, and the practices that best open up the cycle again. We also have five days of gifts and insights for you, delivered every day by email and video, which go much more deeply into the phases of the cycle, the ways that the cycle can become a kind of diagnosis of blocked brilliance, and a way to accurately find the right practice for each person. In addition, you'll receive a video about the single most important practice that we have determined affects brilliance. And another video about everyone's favorite topic. Brilliant sex. It's all totally free, prepared for you as our guest. Please come to RadicalBrilliance.com. Register on the homepage and you'll receive the ebook right away. Then you'll be guided through the five days of videos to take you deeper into your own radical brilliance. You know, when I hear you speak, I, I feel I, I notice two things. You know. Definitely there's the container that you're talking about. The container of this is the crucible in which this is occurring. But I remember there have also been times where our container, like the container of us, looked pretty uncertain. You know, mm. there, were, there were months where we took off our rings, you know, and uh, we... We were not in a we were not in a in a guaranteed container. So I think at that time the container for me became the commitment to love itself. Yeah, exactly. You know? But that's yeah, that's yeah. the root of the container. Exactly. So I came to the point where we had gone deeply enough together that if we separated, I knew that the momentum of this commitment to love would continue. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's an important thing because so many things in life look super stable. You know, like they, so many things we have in life that look really fixed and there's really nothing that's fixed. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing, there's nothing, there's no thing that exists in time. Because that I remember, uh, those times where we have had to really question the container or, or even let it go. Mm. Those have been the times where we have uh, gone into the trap of fixing each other into mm. roles, mm -hmm. and, and it felt like the, our dynamic was too narrow to us, that we had evolved beyond mm. the container. We, we hadn't allowed the container to grow with us. And then there is a, that intrinsic evolutionary force will rebel against yeah. A container that is too small, but so that if you again have then anchored your whole relationship in that container and that goes, it feels so terrifying because then you think what's going to be left. But our experience and my experience every time we have gone through something like that is that, is that we land in a love that is not dependent on anything. It's, it's, a, it's a love that we don't have to make up or agree upon or create. It's a love that is here, and it has taken me by surprise many mm. times. Mm. Because it has been times where I think, oh my God, how are we going to get through this? And, and really let go of any attachment of it being um, solved. And then the miracle. Right in that moment where everything, you don't see any way forward, comes love. Love is the only thing that can open those doors, even create those doors to go forward. And sometimes that to, to stay loyal to that love is to let go of the container. Mm. And here we are, we're still here. <laughs> because we have landed in love every time we have yeah. let go. And maybe we're still here after 17, not just still here no. after 17 years, but the least I can say from my side, I mean, the love that I experience in this context today 
is greater than any other day in our 17 years. <laughs> you know, and close second will be yesterday, and close third will be, I mean, it's like, it just keeps getting deeper and better uh, and more nourishing. And I feel more, more and more of, a, of, of that we're creating a space where I can really relax and be myself beyond any idea of what I knew it, what it was like to relax and be myself. Like I can, I can almost like be myself more as much with you as if I'm alone or even more, right? I, I really feel this incredible comfort to just be, to be natural, to be like an animal, just to be un, uninhibited, to be just me, just to be me. So that's just gotten better and deeper and better and deeper and better and deeper, you know? And then what you're saying, it's like, how did it get, how does it just keep getting deeper? And it's somehow it's ironic because it's when you hold onto the container being defined in a certain way that it gets entangled and tense. And when there's just a, you know, there's just um, an okayness with you're here, you're not here, you're, you're, you're traveling, you're not traveling, you, you want to be alone, you want to be together, you know, when it's there just, an, when there's, there's somehow this okayness that, that develops over time with the container can show up any way it wants, it doesn't matter. Exactly. Because it's love that matters. Yeah. And love can have any container. But something that is striking me now is that when we speak about monogamy or a clear agreements of honesty and all of these things that created our container mm. in the beginning, mm. our commitment to that and to nourish that, we give a lot of energy to, to build that for, for ourselves. It's as, as if we are building a garden together. Mm. We put everything into that garden. Mm. And now we get to eat from the garden, we get to enjoy and, and everything. Uh, we enjoy freedom. So now, and, and now we don't have to put so much, like, kind of agreements or, you know, the container doesn't have to be that. It, 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 it changes all the time. Mm. And what I think many, including myself, did before is that we, we think we can skip the step just because we have an idea of freedom and... Uh, and uh, trust and relaxation and authenticity. But just because we have an idea of it, we think that we can just go in and get that immediately without building the garden. Yeah. You see? So yeah. we skip the steps. Right. And then we will constantly have a, a, a wobbly ground. Yeah. And we will deal with wobbly ground issues. Yes. Because wobbly ground is the source of most relationship stuff, which is unnecessary. And once you actually create solid ground and you get into, you get through that seemingly solid ground, which is not, you know, it's not wobbly, it's not solid, it's a portal, then, then for me began the real work, the healing work. Yeah. All the same stuff is coming up, but it, the context it's coming up in actually brings about healing, mm. opens to freedom, instead of just uh, keeping me busy in the wobbly foundation stuff mm -hmm. what do you think in all these years we've been together and we've been through so many so many layers just so many so many bottoms dropping out you know so because we go deeper and deeper what do you think has been the greatest challenge for you what within yourself what's the greatest demon you've had to face within yourself to come to this kind of love this kind of flow mm hmm there's so many. In the goddess mythology that I'm practicing with, the goddess oftentimes eats the demons. Mm -hmm. And the demons, so instead of trying to like push them away, she actually eats them and they become part of her strength and power. And this illustrates uh, kind of my approach to practice with these things that comes up. And I remember just a, a few years ago, um, or maybe only one, two years ago, don't remember, uh, we were in a, in a rough patch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's been quite a few of those. Uh, we were, and I was feeling so stuck. I, I could not see my way through. Mm. And the story for me was that, the, that, that 
uh, it was your fault. Mm-hmm. Probably was. <laughs> <laughs> But it was. So my story was that you have to change in order for me to be free and happy. Mm. And I felt hopeless and I felt like powerless because you needed to change. Mm. And that's a horrible place to be because mm-hmm. I'm dependent on you changing. And that's mm. it's like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember this specific circumstances. There were some. There were some practical things and was it money or dishes in the sink <laughs> both, both. <I> think. <laughs> uh, and objectively many people would agree that I was right that it was your fault mm. so in one way I could live my life mm. being right about it mm-hmm. and then something happened by grace I remember I was praying I was so stuck and and, and it felt as if There was a, a thread loose in the sweater, and I started to pull it, and the whole sweater started to to come uh, to unravel, and I began to see how I created this dynamic, mm. and I mm. was faced with a part that I would do anything to avoid, and and it was hum- humiliating and embarrassing in the sense of here I am, twenty seven years of practice. Mm. Uh, in a relationship with you, uh, we have even been teaching relationship stuff, uh-huh. and here I am, mm. having been so blind to mm. big piece of my my how I create relationship dynamics. Mm. But what happened there when I saw that blind spot is that it became like food for presence. It became food for consciousness, food for light. Like, like the god is eating the demon. So what happened was that it was feeding into presence in the way that I started to look forward for more blind spots to be revealed to me. And actually, once that thread started to unravel, more and more came up. And I, I, I looked forward to it because it was just it, it just feeds into presence. It feeds into presence. And for me, that is. Something I would ever, 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 ever be in, in in total gratitude for this relationship for because it, I saw that I could have lived the rest of my life being right about this story, avoiding this blind spot, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have this taste of this sublime freedom, mm-hmm. which is not dependent on pushing any parts of me away, mm-hmm. but it's that full integration, that full wholeness. Mm-hmm. Of who I am, hmm. and part of that dynamic that I saw was just how I, 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 I mix love and caretaking. And when I say caretaking, not so much like it, it's actually it sounds benevolent, but it's actually a strategy I learned very early to get love. If I only adapt and do certain things, I will get love. But what happened is that that becomes like an entity. It's not, I'm not home to receive love. I'm in the strategy land. Yeah. And uh, that, that hinders intimacy. Mm. And what happens when I saw that blind spot, comes back to awareness, into presence, is that then I'm left completely naked here with you, mm. uh, where I can't reach for a strategy And I have to stay with you here, mm. and that's where intimacy mm. uh, can happen. Mm. But that's it, and it can be so scary just mm. to stay mm. and be and not going into any mm. any strategy. Mm. Uh, yeah. mm. But that's where the the, the juice is happening. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. Thank you. I think I'm going to answer my own question as well about the greatest challenge. Yes, what is the greatest challenge for you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have a prepared answer. But I would say that what has really lifted over these many years with you, at least, I, I don't know if it's lifted in all of my life, but at least with you, what has lifted is the feeling of generic, unspecific shame. In other words, not just shame because I did this, but a feeling of a, a, a deep feeling of shame for who I am without really having any particular story, but just a feeling that there's something intrinsically wrong with me. 
And I think it's really taken these 17 years of your patient, persistent embrace and love to just to begin to taste the possibility that there might be nothing wrong with me, you know, <laughs> that, that uh, just like our cats or just like the trees or just like any expression of life, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm a, an apparent separate entity just doing its thing the way it was, the way it's supposed to. And uh, that's been that's been, I think, the the greatest challenge throughout the relationship was this feeling of intrinsic shame, and then the need to keep compensating for that, to make effort, to make effort to be entertaining, to make effort to be amusing, to make effort to be a great lover, to be to make effort to to somehow all the time compensate for this underlying feeling of inadequacy. And now I can see in so many areas of our life, um, there's less need to compensate for that shame. Mm. So I just show up, you know, without, without having to put on a show. Yeah. And that's, uh, I didn't even know I had that problem to solve when we started out, but now I realize it's been the greatest gift. Mm. Mm. Well, I want to thank you, not just for these this hour here together. But I want to thank you for the whole shebang. <laughs> <laughs> the whole, the whole, the whole show, 17 years. It's been such a, such an amazing, such an amazing adventure that I never actually thought I would have in this life or that I deserved even, or that I could have, that was even available to me. Mm. Thank you so much, my beloved, for, uh, for allowing me to know real love in my life. <laughs> Thank you. Hmm. Okay, well, I hope, I hope that was good, sweet, yummy for you as much as it was for me to sit with my wife <laughs> and look into her infinitely deep eyes. As you may know, if you've been a guest on this podcast before, I always follow the dialogue with the guest with an invitation for you to practice so that this podcast is not just passive entertainment or consuming, but it's also an invitation to be proactive and to usher more radical, radical brilliance into your life. So I'm going to suggest a practice for you today, and it's really a practice of commitment, a practice of commitment that you can equally execute whether you are single or in a relationship. And it's going to evolve, as often as these practices often do, it's going to involve some journaling. I recommend uh, a notebook and a real pen over a computer screen or, a, or a, 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 an iPhone, just because there's something happens when your hand is moving on the page that activates the emotional body, the deeper body, the body where you really feel things more than, um, than a keyboard does. So if you've got a notebook or a, uh, just a piece of paper and a pen, I'm going to ask you to write this question at the top of the page. You can just write it right at the very top. You can write, why am I alive? And in a minute, when we're done here, you can go back and you can just free flow for a few minutes. Why am I alive? And you might come up with, why am I alive? To love. Why am I alive? To give love. Why am I alive? To heal. Why am I alive? To to shine light, why am I alive, to give my best. It's just whatever comes, you just write. Then you turn the page, right? And uh, on the next page, you're going to write at the top, what gets in the way? What gets in the way? And don't even think, worry about what you wrote on the previous page. It's not that you're going to make it relational to the first page. You just write what gets in the way. So you might write that, and then when you go back, you might write what gets in the way, stubbornness. 
What gets in the way? Thinking I know. What gets in the way? Feeling insecure and being dishonest about it. What gets? You just write that out, okay? Now you go to the third page and you've just, you've already contemplated why am I alive? You've contemplated what gets in the way. Now on the third page, you're going to write why am I in relationship? Now, if you're single, you could write why do I want to be in relationship if you do want to. If you're in a relationship, you could write, why am I in relationship? But it's essentially now you're just asking, why relationship? You know, relationships are messy. They take time. There's often conflict. There's a risk of betrayal and abandonment. It's like relationships, you know, they're difficult. So why? Why do we do this? When there's, when there's such a risk of sorrow and betrayal and hurt and everything, why do we do this? Why do we play the relationship game when you could be alone? So why relationship? And maybe it's connected to why am I alive? And maybe it's connected to what gets in the way. So now you're going to journal. This is the third page. You're going to journal why relationship. And I might, I might write, why, why am I in relationship? To let go of non-love. To show up more fully. To open my eyes. To learn kindness, to learn generosity, to let my love become manifest. So you write whatever comes. And now on the last page, page four, you're going to write, you're going to write, actually these words you're going to write, I need your help with, and you put ellipse, dot, dot, dot. I need your help with, dot, dot, dot. If you're in a relationship, you're, these are the things you might say to your partner. I need your help with. If you're not in a relationship but you'd like to be, this is what you're writing to your next potential partner. I need your help with being honest. I need your help with being present. I need your help with learning to say what I want. I need your help with learning to put my own needs aside and listen to you more. Examples. So that would be a wonderful way to take the dialogue that you have just witnessed with Shamily and myself and to turn it into something that can give you some focus in your own experience of relationship. Very good. Well, thank you for being here today for this. And please, uh, if, if you are new to this podcast, please check out some of the earlier episodes and uh, please come back soon for more. I've got a wonderful, a wonderful array of incredibly brilliant people who are, have been kind enough to join me in these conversations. So, uh, Please come back soon. And you can go to RadicalBrilliance.com. On that page, you can go find this podcast, RadicalBrilliance.com. Go to the podcast tab, of course. You can scroll down. You can put comments and questions in there. You can also go to Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash RadicalBrilliance. Scroll down. You'll find this podcast. You can put comments in there. Equally, we're on LinkedIn. We're on YouTube, Instagram, all those places you can find us. And uh, we do, we do, I do read what you have to say. And uh, I'm always interested. So please um, let this be a conversation. See you soon.